Amen. Tom was bringing the thunder today, wasn't he? <laughs> Throwing things around the stage. <laughs> we love it. Thanks for bringing life, Tom. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them up or turn them on to Matthew chapter 7. We're uh, continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is addressing uh, his people in a gathering. And the verses that we're going to look at today are verses 21 through 23. And so I'm going to read that. If you guys are able, would you stand as I read that to you and, and you follow along on whatever you're using. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You may be seated. So, first read about this passage of scripture. It can be a pretty heavy scripture. It can be um, uncomfortable, a, a sobering scripture. Uh, because it talks of Jesus declaring to someone, depart from me. Uh, you workers of lawlessness, or that, that means you transgressors of the law, you unrighteous, you wicked. Uh, and so to, to kind of wrap our minds around all that's going around here and to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to give us an understanding of, of who is this speaking to, uh, what does this communicate to us regarding the character and the heart of God, uh, I think it's valuable to uh, take this piece of Scripture together with some of the previous texts and then we'll, we'll bounce around uh, the rest of Scripture as well, trying to wrap our minds around this. Uh, so a few weeks ago, Ben preached on verses 13 through 14 just above this. And, and remember, that was the, uh, the piece of Scripture that talked about the narrow gate. And it says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And I really appreciated Ben's uh, example of backpacking in the hills and you have this huge pack uh, full of your own resources and your own stuff inside and out. Um, everything that you bring to the adventure, everything that you bring to life. But yet you come to this small crevasse of rock and the only way that you're going to squeeze through, the only way that you're going to get through the gateway is if you drop your resources, if you take off your pack, if you unload everything that you bring to life. And in that situation, you're able to squeeze through this narrow gate. And on the other side is this great expanse, this kingdom. And it's yours. And so there's this beauty that God is, is kind of has this theme here in this piece of his sermon that, that talks of one way, a limited way, available to all people, but it's going to require you to drop your resume, you to drop your resources. And then last week, Bill taught talked on 15 through 19 and if you'll remember Jesus gives this warning of being aware of false prophets uh, it says that you will recognize them by their fruit that a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit in other words there's going to be spiritual teachers uh, religious influencers that aren't of God that aren't good uh, their their fruit or the outward expression of their inward nature 
the outward expression of their life, the, the flow and the character of their life will not line up with God. And so as, as Bill communicated, the, the good tree is Jesus, where Jesus is the good tree. And if he resides within you in the person of the Holy Spirit, that you will bear forth good fruit. And so we're to be aware of uh, spiritual teachers and influencers uh, who may not abide, remain, and reflect the, the character of Christ on a, on a regular, consistent basis. Kind of makes me a little bit nervous, being one who's standing up here. We got, we got three people, and Bill's been in this game a long time. Ben's way nicer than me, so if you ever have to kind of think through who among us, I might, I might be in trouble. Uh, today's passage, we get again where Jesus says, you will call out to me, Lord, Lord. You'll do many mighty works. You'll cast out demons. You'll do all of these spiritual looking acts, these religious things, but yet you don't know me. Sometimes I think we can confess Jesus with our mouth, but not necessarily with our actions. And so if we want to make declaration of what we truly believe, what our hearts truly bet our lives on, those things act out. That's what scripture calls that faith. The things that we believe to the point of conviction that we act on those things. And so many times there are people, Jesus says, that who confess Lord, Lord, which is, the, is an accurate um, declaration with our mouth that says he is master, he is king. But they don't confess that with the fruit of their life. When Jesus uses the word no, we'll unpack a few of these words and then we'll give some examples. Uh, um, when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. The word he's, he's using right there is a Greek word that means to know, to understand. It can mean to have a knowledge of. Uh, it's also a, a Jewish idiom that, that, re, that regards and discusses sexual intercourse. And so earlier in Matthew, when Joseph is told that Mary is going to conceive a child, and don't worry, um, she wasn't unfaithful, it was born of the Holy Spirit, uh, Joseph resolved in his heart, this is uh, Matthew one twenty-five. it says, Joseph knew Mary not until she had given birth. It's the same word. And so this is this absolute knowledge, this deep, personal, intimate relationship. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And so what he is, the way that he's using this word, he's saying many people know about me, many people in fact declare me uh, with their mouth in certain aspects and areas of their life, but they don't know me in an intimate, personal, and deep way. I think these people, and we'll give an example here, uh, Simon the magician in Acts 8, uh, many times these people are basically declaring Christ for their gain in opportune moments in order typically to accomplish basically their agenda. And so we will use anything and everything as, as people to accomplish our agenda, right? And it doesn't matter if it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, or uh, the bake sale volunteer, or a communion, or a pulpit. That within, left to ourselves, without the grace and the mercy of God, uh, we will sacrifice anyone and anything to accomplish what we think we want. 
And so a part of that strategy or a part of that menu that we have accessible to us can be religion. And I think this is what Jesus is referring to here. And I'm going to turn, if you want, turn to Acts chapter 8. And I think we have a pretty good example of, of what this could look like in the scriptures. So Acts chapter 8, this is when uh, the disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit and they're spreading the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent and believe. Uh, Jesus has come to be the rescuer of all people who put their faith in him and God has empowered them to do mighty works and deeds um, in a lot of ways to declare that he, his, he is authority over all things. Uh, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and was amazing people. They all paid great attention to him and say, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time. He had been amazing them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. Even Simon believed, take note of that, even Simon believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, seeing these great signs and miracles. So we'll skip down a little bit. And he asks the disciples, he says, give me this power. He offers them money. This is verse 19. He offers this money saying, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. So here's a man who, in a way, said at one point he believed to a certain extent. Probably declared, Lord, Lord. He was around and involved in this religious activity. But what was his heart for? He says he is not right before God. And then listen to the, the command. Verse 22, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So there's this picture that we have in scripture of a, of a man who's intrigued by religion, who's intrigued by spirituality, who has uh, committed many mighty works. And he sees an opportunity to kind of link shields with these guys um, but obviously, according to, to Scripture, his heart was not interested in coming underneath and surrendering all of his life to God. He didn't necessarily see his need for rescuing himself. He wanted to be a part of the hoopla. He wanted to play Christian. I've seen this happen in our day with, uh, with spouses who at some point their their bitterness, their selfishness catches up to them and, and the other spouse has enough. And so they, they separate or they, they draw a line in the sand and say, we're done. And all of a sudden you see one individual who starts going to church, starts going to counseling, starts entering Bible study, starts doing all these things uh, to check off the box. And many, many times that's a wake-up call and that's a legit repentance. But many, many times that's simply their way to get what they want so they can get back to their selfish ways and the person that they've controlled and have served them and they'll use God and religion and anybody else to do it. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing in this portion of scripture. 
There are a lot of people who play Christian. There are a lot of people who go to church, indeed who work at churches, who pray. But the dividing factor is that they have never fully trusted Jesus as their hope and their Savior. Further on in the, in the text, Jesus says, In that day, which begs the question, what's he talking about here? And I believe this piece of scripture is, is regarding salvation. He's saying he's bringing them to a point of judgment. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will give an account to God. Where he's saying there will come a point and there will come a time that we will stand before our creator as a creature and give an account. He's saying many times we give on this earth the appearance of righteousness, the appearance of godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 5 also talks about in that last day some will have the appearance of godliness but deny its power so there's this idea our scripture today in second timothy that refers to the things that we do and that we partake of that have the appearance of godliness but deny the power of jesus or the source of the power and there's also uh, an area of life that we can the things that we don't do right uh, colossians 20 I'm sorry, Colossians 2.20 says, If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to all the things that perish according to human precepts and teachings. These have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value of indulging the flesh. So when we look at ourselves and we assess our lives, we can think through what is our motive for the things that we do? And also, what is our motives for the things that we deny? It's easy to think through as you, well, let's read back to the, the chapter, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so he in my mind, a little bit could be confusing because we just got done reading, hey, you'll know yours by your fruit. But then this, he pivots a little bit and says, oh yeah, by the way, they're going to do a lot of good things uh, and I don't know if you can trust where that comes from. So on one side, I'm not totally sure what to look at here. But I think what Jesus is expressing is not necessarily this call for sinless perfection. He's not saying, he's not all of a sudden saying, as he'd been proclaiming and preaching, the grace of God, the gift of God is the forgiveness of sins and for salvation to man. Uh, he's not all of a sudden saying you must do all these things to earn forgiveness and to earn salvation. I believe what he's saying is that if you have seen your need for a Savior and you have recognized the state of your sinful heart and declared that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is for you and to be received as gift, then there will be evidence that that is true. There's a huge difference between earning salvation and having evidence of salvation. Uh, my youngest son, Brogan, he's about seven. He, he does a lot of things that I used to do. He walks like me and talks like me and acts like me in different ways. Because he does that doesn't make him my son, right? It's simply evidence that he is my son. And so there's many portions of scripture where it may sound like, hmm, he's saying, if you do the will of my father, uh, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think we need to make sure we understand that he's saying, 
if the Holy Spirit is in you and you have received the grace of salvation, then you will have evidence. I kind of liken it to, because if I look at my own life, I, I think through, well, if I evaluate my life, there is plenty of moments consistently throughout the day that don't give evidence of holiness and righteousness. And I think many times you're not alone if you squirm in your seat and you think you doubt your salvation because look at what I did or look at what I have done or look at what I did over and over and over. And I think what what Christ is referring to is that those who have been redeemed and rebirthed by Jesus Christ, there is an ethos and a flow of their life, much like a river, that is going a certain direction. And yes, there's going to be garbage in the river at times and there's going to be this garbage of gossip and this garbage of lust and this garbage of anger and this garbage of power and many many times they're going to get thrown back in and you're going to see them and you continue to partner with God and confess and repent and remove that garbage from your life but there's this constant flow that's going the direction of righteousness and sanctification and to be like Christ and I think again he's not he's not saying if you're not perfect in your action, in your word, in your deed, you better, you better question your salvation. That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying there is a group of people that, that, that signed up for Christianity, that use God, use his name, not to surrender and to bring glory to him, but to accomplish their own agenda. So what's the differentiating factor between those who truly confess and believe in Jesus Christ and those who maybe perhaps just with their mouth? I think it's repentance. John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. See, I think there's a a misunderstanding when we ignore the topic of repentance, when we ignore the topic of confession, when we fail to choose to look at our own sin or the sin of man, I think we, we water down this gospel and we, we misunderstand Jesus and then we hear things like when, when we have these verses that, that talk about depart from me, I didn't know you. That's uncomfortable for us. So, so then we get real confused because we say the, the God that I know, that's, that's not the God that I worship. He doesn't send people to hell. Um, that's not the God, that, that's not the loving God that I, that I know and claim. And I do believe that God is, is loving and merciful, but I think we miss out when we don't understand our deep need. We misunderstand the idea of coming underneath the authority of God. When Jesus says, depart from me, I, I don't necessarily believe that, that God sends people to hell. I think people send themselves to condemnation. I think people choose to reject God because sometimes I think we're not comfortable that's not the God I know when we see him up there you know sending people to hell we're all uncomfortable with that there's a place in scripture where there's a thief on one side and a thief on the other and Jesus Christ in the middle right when he's dying on the cross and as one man is dying he is hating God he's continuing to reject him and mock him and blaspheme him as he's hanging there dying. And the other one recognizes its repentance, its confession. He recognizes his need for saving. 
and he asks him to remember him. I think that's a great example. It wasn't God just saying, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." It was God declaring forgiveness and the offer of salvation. And one hated him to his dying breath and the other recognized his need. Said, I need you how I need you. Jeremiah 13.10 gives us a picture of God's heart. It says, God says, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and gave and have gone after other gods to serve and worship them, they shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. Verse 17, but if you will not listen, my soul will weep bitterly and run down with tears. If you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? It is because of the greatness of your iniquity. See, the heart of God has never changed. Whether he's saying, come to me and I will give you eternal life, or whether he's saying, depart from me. Ezekiel 18.23 gives us a greater picture of God's heart. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? Not. I would rather that they would turn from their evil way and live. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord, so turn and live. See, God's heart is that we could recognize and come to the end of ourself, that we could take off our pack. See, in order to come to life, we must first die. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it does not come to life. The start of school um, just happened a few weeks ago for my kids, and so most of our culture here is getting into that fall rhythm again. And so as I was thinking about the kids' first day of school and whatnot, and I was reading through the scripture, God gave me just this analogy where you think of what God is offering in the person of Jesus Christ, you think of the judgment day. And it's as if God is the evaluator, God is the teacher. And you come to your first day of class and we're all sitting down in the chairs and he says, all right, students, this is a pass fail where you will present your test, you will present your paper to me, I will evaluate it. And if there's anything wrong, you fail. And if it's perfect, you pass. However, this is a very, very difficult class, I realize, because it demands perfection. But I have some great news. My son Jesus has already taken the test. He's passed it with absolute perfection, and he's made a ton of photocopies of his test. And he is offering to write your name on it. If you want to claim his test right now, you can. And I, as the teacher, evaluator, and judge, I have been pleased to receive that so you all have opportunity right now to say I will take Jesus's test and I want him to put my name on it and I will turn it in now and God says that is perfectly permissible and fine and in fact I delight in that and at any point in this semester whether you do that right now today or whether you do that in two weeks or whether you do that at the very end of the semester at any point where you choose to claim Jesus Christ's perfect test score you may but here's the deal you have no idea when I will call you to the front you have no idea when I will call you to my desk to be evaluated it could be as soon as I'm done with this speech it could be tomorrow it could be the end of the semester but I want you to know at any point you can recognize you don't have what it takes to pass a test. And you can claim Jesus. And he will declare you as his. And the Father, God, the judge will say, enter my kingdom you have passed with glory and with delight. Now you can relax the rest of the semester and learn what it's like to live out in this righteousness.
we're getting ready to take communion. And communion is something that could be, we very much could do a spiritual thing without knowing Christ. We very much could walk through the act of taking bread and drinking juice in the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus on a personal level. And so I want you to search your heart. I'm going to read something uh, in 1 Corinthians that's regarding taking the Lord's Supper, and I want you guys to just search your heart and, and recognize and know that right now, uh, God is asking if you want to receive forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ, if you've never done that. If you've continued to bring your own resources to God, if you've continued to use your resume to be accepted by God, there's a, there's a place that you must come that says, I have screwed up my life so much, I need someone else's to count. And Jesus saying, that is why I died. For love of you, I endured death and the grave for love of you. I took on your death and then I exploded from the grave to give you life. And you have an invitation and an offer right now. Jesus says, this is my body which has been broken for you. When you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But listen to this warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord and in, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of Christ. Let each person examine himself so that when he eats the bread and drinks the cup. And again, this examination is not if you have what it takes. This examination is if you know you don't have what it takes and you have claimed Jesus and you have claimed his test. It says if that's the case, come partake of this because it is a reflection of what has happened within your heart and your soul. So if I could have the elders or, or others who want to serve come and pass this out. Um, and then if you guys, once you get it, would you just hold that? If you decided to partake of this with us until we uh, all partake of it together. And just close your hearts, open your hearts, close your eyes, and spend some time evaluating Jesus' invitation.